0: Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Okay, so on February 11th, Sunday morning, we had a little uh, equipment malfunction and we did not get any recordings from what was a very cool service where three different folks all responded to one question they kind of had 10 minutes each and we didn't get them recorded so all three of our respondents have recorded their own messages and sent them in to me I've put them together for you here and they're all answering this question Ash Wednesday is just a few days away starting on Wednesday many believers in Jesus all over the world will be daily turning their attention to what he did on the cross and examining their own lives as well. How is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross impacting you in this particular season of your life? All right, get ready to hear from Thomas Cox, Christy Fox, and Eric Snyder.
1: My wife and I have a two-year-old and uh, a two month old at this point. And with our two year old, we are learning a lot about observational learning. We're understanding uh, how important it is for us to be on our best behavior. It's it's a lot of pressure because you don't know what your kid's gonna hear and then repeat. And you don't know what he's gonna do or say when he goes to school, but you know that whoever hears that knows where it comes from. Um, I, I have no idea what percentage of a human's learning comes from observing others? I'm sure it's a lot. Um, but on top of the pressure, it leads to a lot of comedy for us. Our kid regurgitate things he hears. Uh, right now, uh, one thing that he says to me commonly that he did not hear from me, I can promise you that, is stop, Thomas. And he's, he's two years old. He calls me by my first name. I didn't think it was going to bother me, but it does. I don't love that my kid calls me my first name. Um, He loves to watch us. And he's, I mean, he's a great big brother. And he has learned some things from us, but they don't translate well when a two-year-old does them. Like, he knows that if Daisy, our, our youngest, is sad, that we rock her or we sway her. So if he sees her sad, then he will shake her, which is rule number one. When you're raising a baby, don't shake the baby. But, you know, hard to explain that to a two year old or he knows that she's sad. We'll give her some milk, which my wife walked in the room the other day and she was drinking cow's milk from our kid and eating a strawberry. And you're just like, I dude, That's not I mean, you're you're trying really hard, but that's not that's just not it. Um, And it's just it's true of me. I learned much better from watching people and trying to do an imitation of them. Um, if, you know, if I'm going to put together something from Ikea, don't hand me a notebook of instructions, give me a YouTube video. You know, it's just kind of like a product of the generation that I'm in. I think a lot of us feel like we have a false sense of confidence because we've grown up with YouTube. We could do whatever. If somebody else has done it, we just got to watch them and then we can do it. Uh, I have a buddy who says, if it's 30 minutes or less, I can do it. And I believe that he can, I, I will gladly hold his tools that is not my skill set. It has led to me having a ton of unfinished projects around the house because I think I can do this. I've watched somebody else do it. And it just it does not work well like that. And I have realized in my faith, some of the best things I've ever gained have been from watching other people. And some of the worst ones have, have been the exact same. One thing I love about our church, one thing that's been safe for me about our church the entire time I've been going here since I was in middle school, is that we regularly and often talk about Jesus. And we often talk about the good news and what he did for us. It's a regular thing that happens throughout the year. But at some point in my life, and I think it's just from honestly being a Christian, where we live and the calendar that we have, I have learned that you really, really think about the cross for about 40 days. You really, really think about baby Jesus for about 25 days. You really pay attention to the cross for about 40 days each spring. Now, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with that. I think it's important that we have a holiday. I think it's really cool to have 40 days of lead up to that where we have an intentional focus on that. The problem that happens, I think, amongst believers and myself included in the past is that we put the cross in this 40-day window and that's what it gets. If we're going to have some important impactful moment from it, it's going to happen sometime in the spring. I remember often feeling in my life, I better not miss it. This is my chance. I better not miss whatever God's doing through the cross in my life today, already as a believer. What's he doing? I don't I don't I've got a short window. Um and I'm just I'm realizing the older I get and the more I've thought about this question that it's just, it's not good enough. I'm realizing, and if I may be so bold, I I need to frequently and clearly look at the cross. And after I may be even bolder, I may say on a daily basis. Now, I'm not saying like, you know, like people who who read scripture and spend time in the word, you're going to stumble upon the cross some random time in the fall sometime over the summer or whenever just because you read through it. But I'm saying intentionally and regularly, frequently and clearly, I need to look at the cross. Number one, it uh, helps me to know the Lord well. If I am clearly and frequently looking at the cross in a healthy way, it helps me to know Jesus in a very sweet way. I don't know about anybody listening to this or hearing me right now um, it is easy for me to forget things that are true about God. And I, I hope someone out there is amening me on that because it is just easy to do. I have, you know, things that are deep in my past and history that make me believe things that aren't true easily about the Lord. He is big and mean and distant. He He gets mad at me and, you know, frequently he's, upset with me. He's ready for me to mess up and then I'm going to be in trouble. He doesn't want me. I, I don't know if anybody's ever felt that before. I've worked with high schoolers for a long time, so I know for a fact that they think that on a, on a, a semi-frequent basis. And I do too. If I'm clearly and frequently at the cross, but frequently looking at the cross, I have a layup for a way to just blow those things up. I can remember that God loved me so much that he came here. He put on flesh and dwelt among us and walked around and felt things and saw things and was tempted in every way. And then he came on a mission to die for me because he loves me so much. That gets rid of so many yucky things that I can easily attribute to God. I also need to clearly and frequently look at the cross to know myself better. And when I say clearly and frequently, what I mean is not not in the sense of let me go all the way back down my deepest, deepest darkest sin. Let me remember all that stuff. I need to wallow around in it for a little bit just to remember how bad it felt. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But I need to regularly look at the cross and say, "Wow, the Lord's doing a good thing in me. He has brought me a mighty long way." I can look at myself and say, "I have grown through what Jesus did for me. This is amazing." I'm not who I used to be. That's amazing. I'm not going to be that way again. That's amazing. I can remember that I don't have to be ashamed of who I was. Psalm 103 tells us that as far as the east is from the west, he has taken my sin from me. I don't have to relive it. I'm not unlovable. I'm somebody that was worth that in the Lord's mind. And that is incredible. We have a song at church That says, I'm righteous, forgiven, and totally clean. If I am frequently looking at the cross on a daily basis, it's going to be harder for me to forget that. This is leading to uh, another place for me. All these things kind of add together, and it's made me realize I need to clearly and frequently look at the cross to see and know others well. It is easy for me still At 30 years old and someone who's been walking with Jesus for a long time, to be judgmental, to uh, have a bunch of expectations, to size people up, to get frustrated with people, to be annoyed with people. Y'all, if I am looking at the cross clearly and frequently, it's a lot easier for me to have grace for people for my, my fellow believers to remember that he's doing a really cool thing in them too. And I'm not saying that you, you're never gonna be upset with somebody, you're never gonna have something to be bothered by. No. But I am saying it's a lot uh it's a lot easier to have grace for people. And for my friends who don't know the Lord, instead of being judgy and frustrated or feeling like I'm not going anywhere with them, it it can help me have pity. And I know that word may sound weird to people, but seriously, it can help me look at people and think, man, you're missing out on the, the main thing. The whole reason for all this, you're missing out on it. It's time. It, you, it helped me pray for them. I need to clearly and frequently do that. I want to turn our attention to a place in the gospel of Luke. And typically, uh, this is the time in the message where I would give you some scripture to fortify the whole thing that I said. And that's exactly what I'm going to do Um, But I'm going to show you somebody who, instead of doing this well, they did it extremely poorly. Uh, This is from Luke chapter 7. I'm going to start. Well, this is the place, you know, if you've got a Bible flip there, but this is where Jesus is invited to a party at a guy named Simon's house. Not Simon Peter, but Simon the Pharisee. He's invited to come over there and have dinner. And surely this was a trap to get Jesus to stumble into something. And just side note, if you want to see Jesus do something cool, look at the gospels. If you want to see him do something really, really cool amongst all that, look at the places he tries. people try to trap him. Ah, oh, we're going to throw you off this cliff. Nope. I'm going to walk right through you. We come to arrest you. We could not arrest him. The way he spoke was unbelievable. Even when they thought they had him, he was actually in control the whole time. And he was doing what he came here to do. Um, so, this is at that party, there's a sinful woman who comes in. That's what everybody sees her as sinful. And she, she starts crying and wiping her tears with her hair and snot all over Jesus' feet and pours a vial of very expensive perfume on them. Um, and I'm going to pick up here in verse 39. It says, When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, He would know who was touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Number one, I need to look at the cross till I can know Jesus well. This man had no idea who Jesus was. If this man were a prophet, he says, number one, he did not get that at all. Goes on to say, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Man, Simon is bold, by the way. Yikes. Tell me, teacher. Well, I hope I have some confidence like that. Two people owed, me, uh, owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Um, I think it's easy to get caught up in that little bit and think of this as like a mathematic equation. He already said, this woman's a sinner. That's how he saw her, period. And we're about to get there. But he had no vision of anything about who she was. And he really, really did not have a vision of who he was. I need to look at the cross frequently to know who I am. Simon had no idea who he was. This is a story about two people who owed a debt and couldn't pay it, period. Simon did not see himself in that at all. He was not aware that he owed a debt in any way. If he could have figured that out, I don't know what it would be like for him. But I know what it was like for me. Uh, Verse 44, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Then he turned toward the woman. This is Jesus. He turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Nope. Simon did not see this woman. He couldn't. He didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't know who he was. All he saw was a sinner. That's all he could see. He didn't have empathy. He didn't have grace. He didn't have kindness. Simon had a chance to have the coolest night of his life. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, God in the flesh, showed up at his house for a dinner party. He couldn't see him. He couldn't see himself, and he couldn't see anyone else there, much less this woman. Y'all, I need to frequently and regularly be looking at the cross to remember who God is, to remember who I am, and to be able to see other people. Because... I don't want to be like Simon. I don't want to miss out on something really cool that the Lord is doing.
2: Have you ever had an experience that's disorienting? I mean, like you see something happen, but what looks like happening is not actually happening, and, and you don't even just know how to interpret it. About 10 years ago, my husband sent me a picture. It was a picture of our bathtub with about 10 frozen turkeys in it. And I was out to lunch with a friend, and I showed her the picture, and... She immediately started freaking out. What is happening in your bathtub? I cannot believe it. Why, why, is there tur- why is there turkeys in your tubs? Did someone break into your house and put turkeys in your tub? And I laughed because um, I knew exactly what had happened. My father had needed to thaw a bunch of turkeys, and he had just didn't have room in his house, so he came in my house and decided to thaw the turkeys. Sometimes an image is just disorienting. Uh, another time, I was deep in a book. I was a kid. My mom would used to only let me get a few books at a time from the library because when I was reading, I was out of it. I was in my own world. I couldn't just interact with people I couldn't wash the dishes I couldn't clean up my room I just was living in the world and so this time I think I might have been lost in the island of the blue dolphin but I'm in my room and all of a sudden I hear some screaming and I run out to our front carport and I'm watching my sister she's yelling and screaming my dad is yelling and my mom has a broom and my mom is swatting my sister with a broom. Now, let me clarify. My older sister was always a good kid. And I would have no idea why she would be getting in trouble. My dad never yelled. My mom didn't use a broom. Um, I could not figure out what was happening. Sometimes experiences are just disorienting. You know what the observable fact is, but you just cannot figure out how to interpret it. Well, turns out, I just was stuck there. I was asking questions. Nobody was answering me. And so eventually, my mom yells, shower. She runs into the bathroom, turns the water on, and throws my sister in the shower. Everything calms down. Everything gets a little bit normal and finally my parents explained that she had gotten into a a beehive and she was getting stung by a ton of bees and my parents were trying to get them off her. My dad was trying to tell her what to do. My mom was trying to, to get the bees off of her. You know, if I had been able to engage and look closely, I might have noticed that my dad was holding one of those little smoker things that makes bees go away. Uh, I might have noticed that my mom wasn't rearing back and whacking my, mom, my sister uh, with a broom. She was sweeping her, trying to get those off. I, I just I couldn't engage. I, I didn't have eyes to see or ears to hear. There were hints if I had been able to pay attention, but I just couldn't engage it. But ultimately, I just didn't know what was going on, and I just had to wait. I had to wait till the moment passed. I had to wait till things were calm, and eventually, I got to hear the story. You know, this week, we're talking about how the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is impacting you in this particular season of life, and I was thinking about that. I've been reading through the gospels lately and just trying to read through that story and get a big picture of what is happening and i think that potentially as the apostles were walk, watching the sacrifice of jesus they were having this experience that was disorienting i mean let's think about this um just a few days before, like, they had put Jesus on this donkey, and people had celebrated as he walked into Jerusalem. It was like a royal procession, and they were like, yeah, Hosanna. This is going to be the king. This is," And so, like, it seems like Peter was pretty geared up for that. Um, and then a little bit later, Jesus turns over the tables in the temple, and Peter's like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. Jesus is going to rule. And then, when the soldiers come to arrest Jesus, Peter s- pulls out that sword and whacks off the ear, and Jesus tells him to stop. Look, I don't know. You know, after Jesus was arrested, Peter ends up denying him three times. And, I mean, I, I, I think he denied him, but I also think he was kind of like, ugh, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't even know who this guy is. I thought we were going to do this, and now it looks like this, and... I was here, I ob- I was observing everything that was happening, but this doesn't make sense. This doesn't look like the kingdom of Jesus is coming about. It looks like Jesus is getting defeated. I don't know, if you keep reading in the New Testament just about all the things that happened to Jesus as he was walking towards the cross, there's all this like imagery, like they put a robe on him and they put a crown of thorns on him and they put, put him up on a high place and they give him a kingly placard there's all this like king imagery i mean i think there were hints like if you had eyes to see and ears to hear there were hints along the way i mean it was really backwards and upside down like the king on the cross like that didn't totally make sense but there was like hints along the way and i don't know i sometimes wonder the ones the disciples, you know, that we didn't hear tons about, maybe those were the ones that like, had eyes to see and ears to hear, and the Gospels just tell us about Peter, <laughs> and the ones that were just confused and lost and scared and run, ran away um, because they didn't have eyes to see and hears to, ears to hear. Sometimes things are just disorienting. Sometimes there's hints that if we look close, we can potentially start to see uh, what's going on, but it's just not always clear. I don't know. And last but not least, I really think that sometimes you just have to wait. I mean, the apostles all ran away, and they just had to wait. They didn't know what was happening. They didn't know what was going on. They had to wait um, several days before Jesus came back. They had 40 days before... um, Jesus went to heaven, and some more days before the Holy Spirit came, and like, it just seems like as these guys were following Jesus, there was so much waiting, where things didn't quite actually make sense, I don't know, it seems like that's what the sacrifice of Jesus was like, it seems like that sometimes that's what my life is like, the facts that I observe, they're just not always the truth, and they can be super disorienting and I'm not sure what's going on when God is doing something in my life I'm just not sure what is actually happening. occasionally he'll pull back that curtain occasionally um, he'll give me eyes to see and ears to hear hints that maybe tell me he's doing maybe a little something more but ultimately I might just have to wait I mean there's a lot of waiting in scripture you know If I trust who Jesus is, who he says he is, then I can wait. I can wait till he returns and tells me more about who I am. As we walk with Jesus, as we observe the sacrifice of Jesus through Lent, um, I'm having to remind myself. Sometimes the facts, the things that I see, are not always the truth. Occasionally, if I can focus, if I can have eyes to see and ears to hear, There's hints along the way, but ultimately, I might just have to wait. And I believe we can wait. If this is the Jesus who rose from the dead, um, then we can trust him um, with our lives.
3: question is, how is the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross impacting you in this season of your life? And that's just been a a timely question for me. I'm going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 58 and also in Philippians chapter 2. One of my favorite comic strips is Calvin and Hobbes. And Calvin is a little boy and has a pretend tiger friend. And in one, uh, one strip, uh, Calvin is lying in a in a hammock and just relaxing. And Hobbes comes up to him and says, shouldn't you be in school? And Calvin says, why? And Hobbes says, so you can get an education. And Calvin says, why? So you can graduate? Why? So you can get a good job? Why? So you can make a lot of money? Why? So you can retire? Why? so you can do the things that you want to do. And Calvin says, I think I'll just skip all that. Calvin and Hobbes have this assumption that the goal in life is to arrive at a place of comfort and security. We work our whole lives to accumulate in order to protect ourselves in our older years from discomfort and pain. I've been going through some stuff the past month, and, and Sue Hartman emailed me a, a passage from Isaiah 58, and I've been, I've been um, living in Isaiah 58 for about a month now. Now, uh, some background to that passage, the people of Judah are, are going through some stuff, um, and they feel like, like God is not listening to them. Now, this passage is usually thought of as the fasting chapter because it talks about fasting and the right way to fast. That's not really what the passage is about. They were fasting, which means to deny yourself food or something that you take pleasure in. And they were trying to get God to do things in their favor they were saying, you know, we're doing all the right things, God. We're, we're, we're giving up our, our, our Sunday mornings. We're, we're uh, tithing our 10%. We're involved in our church activities. And we're, we're uh, doing the things that we're supposed to do. And you're not listening to us. We feel like we're in, in darkness and in a desert. And God says, you're not really denying yourselves. Your whole focus is on leveraging your power and your position to your advantage. It's not about changing your fasting, but changing your focus. You're surrounded by people that you can't see. You're surrounded by people who are starving and oppressed physically and spiritually. And you want to leverage me into giving you more of what you already have. When we're in a hard place, the tendency is to ask God to take us out of it, to remove the situation that we're in. But sometimes the hard place is exactly where he wants you to be. I have a long job history of just doing different things for a living. I've always wanted to be uh, in ministry. I enjoy teaching the Bible and studying the Bible, and I get to do that. I get to do that here. I've gotten to do that in different churches, and I love doing that. But I've never been—I've never been paid to do that as a job. Instead, I've always had blue-collar jobs. I've—I've worked in warehouses. I'm a laborer. Um, I've worked in on TV production crews, which is mostly lugging around a lot of heavy equipment, and I've uh, driven uh, trucks and school buses and uh, turret lifts, forklifts, walkie riders. And right now, I'm I'm working in a concrete plant, and a concrete plant is literally a hard place with hard people. There's this Japanese thing that's uh, it's about finding a way to find the right work that makes sense for you. And it, it's a Venn diagram, basically. And it's four circles that overlap. And the first circle is uh, it, it's a job that is something that you love to do. So if you can get in that circle right there, you're doing something you love to do. And and then the next circle is something that you're good at, something that you can do very well. And then the third circle is something that the world needs. And the fourth circle is something that you can get paid to do. So if all four circles are overlapping, that middle section where they all overlap is called ikigai. It's a Japanese word that means balance. Now, recently, I applied to two different ministry jobs. And the type of jobs were such that they would be perfect, I thought, to use my work history and also my ministry uh, background. So I thought these, these, I thought I was the perfect fit for either one of these jobs. And I applied and I interviewed, and I, I didn't get the job. The weird thing is I kind of knew inside that I wasn't going to get the job because I kept seeing these, I kept seeing this message. I was, um, I was watching a movie and a character in the movie woke up and didn't know where they were. and They said, where am I? And somebody answered, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And I was in a store and there was a sign on the wall two days later that said you are where you're supposed to be two days after that I was looking at YouTube scanning and there was this video that was playing and the closed captioning on the screen said you are exactly where you're supposed to be why was I not supposed to be in a paid ministry I don't know maybe I would leverage my position to my advantage in that place. Instead, God had me in a hard place. If you look at Isaiah chapter 58, verse 10 and 11, let's read that together. It says, If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. And some of your translations say, If you empty your soul or pour out yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed then your light will rise where? in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday the Lord will guide you always he will satisfy your needs where? in a sun scorched land and will strengthen your frame You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Where is the light? Where is the water? Sometimes God leads us to a hard place. Frederick Buechner said that vocation is where our deep gladness meets the world's deep need. And I think that I came close to that. I had an icky guy kind of job once in my early 20s, but every job I've had since then has been hard. It's it's not been what I love. It's not what I'm good at, and, and frankly, I've not gotten paid very well. I've never woken up on a Monday morning and felt deep gladness. That's the opposite of what I feel Monday mornings. But in every job I've had, I've been able to minister to people in the darkness and in the desert, and I find myself already falling in love with these, these hard people in a hard place. And I think, I've, I think I'm discovering that I'm a hard person And that I'm exactly where I should be. Because sometimes God leads you to a hard place. If you'll turn in Philippians chapter 2, in the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Philippians, and look at verse 5. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. It's literally in the Greek, he he emptied himself. He poured out himself by taking the very nature of a servant. He went in the darkness. He went in the desert. And he asks us to take up our cross daily and follow him. Instead of doing what we're inclined to do, which is to accumulate, to add to ourselves, Christ says we must empty ourselves. To get to the light, we must go in the darkness. To get to the water, we must go in the desert. And I'm tempted to think, I can't afford to empty myself. I would lose myself. I have to secure my borders. But Jesus said he who would gain his life must lose it. Sometimes he leads us to a hard place. But it's in the hard place where we find what we're really looking for. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving us so much that you left heaven. You emptied yourself And you became one of us, became a servant, died on a cross so that we can be with you forever. You went to a hard place, and you ask us to endure hard places that can be so uncomfortable. But where you lead us, you feed us, and you give us light in the darkness and water in the desert. We love you, Jesus. Help us to trust you in these hard places. Amen. Come, you who
4: are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money. by and eat come you who are thirsty so your soul.